Well, good morning. So glad to be here with you guys today. I want to give you one uh, follow-up step uh, for Celebrate Recovery. Um, as we get this ministry started, it's, it's brand new, okay, for us. It's, a, it's been a ministry that it started in California at Saddleback Church, but it's been a ministry that God has used in the life of people all over the United States and around the world. Uh, but we're starting up this, this winter-spring season, and so Zach and Corey Reddick and Tom and Beth Hoover are helping lead the charge for that ministry. And um, this Friday, this coming Friday, January 31st, we have an interest meeting uh, for those of you who would like to be a part of this. Maybe, uh, maybe addiction is something that you've struggled with in your life. Maybe it's something that hits close to home uh, in your family and your sphere of influence. And, uh, and, and God has given you a heart for that. So right after the service, out in the lobby, uh, they'll be out there. Uh, there's a table out there. They'll be standing there and we'll answer any questions you have and let you know how you can get plugged in. But make sure you do that if you're interested or just go tell them you're praying for them and, and, and give them some encouragement today. So that's the next step for you to take um, for our Celebrate Recovery Ministry. And I want to tell you one other thing. Lisa mentioned this conference that we're going to be hosting. So we're hosting a, a national pastor's conference for the Baptist Bible Fellowship on Monday, February 10th through Wednesday, February 12th. For those of you who don't know what the Baptist Bible Fellowship is, it is the network that our church is a part of. Um, our church has is, is been a part of the Baptist Bible Fellowship network since the very beginning. Jewel Smith, who started this church, came from a church in Detroit, Michigan, uh, to plant what was Temple Baptist Church at the time. And it's, our church has always been a part of the Baptist Bible Fellowship. It's a network of churches, um, but more importantly, it's a network of churches that are sending missionaries all over the world. Ed and Anita Hoagland are missionaries through the Baptist Bible Fellowship, as well as a majority of the missionaries that we support as a church. And so um, the, the churches that are a part of, of this network are all over the United States and get together a, a handful of times a year in September and in February and in May. And so this February, we're hosting uh, the meeting. So there will be pastors here from all over the country. There will be missionaries here uh, from all over the world. Some of the missionaries that, that have been in our conferences over the last couple of years, Ben Walker uh, in, in New Zealand, I just talked to him on the phone the other day. He's going to be here. Uh, Paul, um, Paul Hopkins is going to be here. Yes, thank you. Uh, Eric and Ashley Woodworth and uh, a handful of other missionaries that, that that you've gotten to know over the last couple of years will be here. And we want to be an encouragement to them. We want to be an encouragement to these pastors and missionaries that, have faithfully, that are faithfully serving God in, in their context, wherever they're at. And so as a church, we need some volunteers to help, to, to greet and to give directions and, and instructions on, on what's going on. And, and so many of you have already responded. But I really want to ask you to be praying for this meeting that we're going to have. The theme for the meeting is prayer, presence, and power. It's, it's the same theme that we're, that we're uh, using right now as a church. I believe that God moves through prayer. We all want God's power. We want to see God move in power. Uh, but, but God's power starts by seeking his presence through prayer. 
And when we are hungry for God and grow in our hunger for God and seeking his face, God begins to do the supernatural and begins to move in power. And so we're praying for all of these ministries that, that, that God would, would call them uh, to, to greater prayer and, and to ultimately greater power in their ministries. So be praying for what God will do. That's February 9th, uh, I'm sorry, February 10th through the uh, 12th. And um, some of you who can, uh, let us know and, and we'll put you to work. You can email us at info at orlandobaptist.com. All right. Well, we have been in our 21 days of prayer. It's been a privilege for me to get to gather with some of you this week on um, Thursday morning, I gathered with about seven guys at the Starbucks at Michigan at 436 as we just prayed together and, and um, asked the Lord to help us. That, that day, specifically, we were praying uh, about provision and thanking God for his provision and helping us to, to trust in his provision uh, and trust ultimately in him as the provider. Saturday, I got together with some people and just walk around the neighborhood over here that we have been praying for that God would give us opportunities to serve. And I know some of, the, some of you gathered with, with other groups uh, here on campus and off campus just to pray together as God's uh, people. And I believe God is honored in that and I believe that God moves through that. And so we're gonna continue to talk about prayer a little bit this morning. We're, we're gonna talk about um, growing in our hunger for God. We started off this 21 days of prayer in our Prayer, Presence, and Power series uh, talking about identifying and, and understanding what it means to have a hunger for God, a thirst for God. And we looked at Scripture where over and over God uses this illustration of hunger and thirst to describe how he wants us to respond to him. I mean, our most basic needs, our most basic desires as human beings are hunger and thirst. I mean, when we're hungry, we'll go to great lengths to get something to eat. You know, we, we get to that stage where we're hangry. You guys know what that is, right? Angry and hungry at the same time. When we're thirsty, we'll go to great lengths to find water, to find a drink. And God wants us to be thirsty and hungry for him, that we wouldn't be satisfied with anything else except for his presence in our lives. He is the only one who can truly satisfy the deep longings of our heart. And so we talked about this idea of growing in a hunger for God. And that idea, truthfully, can be a little bit abstract. You know, we're because we're, we're using this concrete idea that we understand hunger and thirst and we're applying it in a spiritual way that, that maybe for a lot of us feels a little abstract. Okay, I, I get it, hungry and thirsty for God, but what does that really look like? I mean, what, what would it look like if I was growing in a hunger for God? And so today, that's what I wanna do. I wanna, I wanna take a few minutes and just look really practically at what it would look like if we are growing in our hunger for God. And we're going to simply use the Lord's Prayer as, as our template for understanding that. I, I believe that the Lord's Prayer shows us some principles that if we're growing in our hunger for God, that we will grow in these certain areas in our life, hunger and growth in these areas. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. But before we do that, let's pray, okay? Well, Lord, we love you. And Jesus, we declare once again that you are all we need. 
You are the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to God. Lord, we confess that so many times we look for satisfaction in other places. And so this morning, God, remind us, remind us that you are the living water, that you are the bread of life, that only you can quench the deep longing of our soul. And so, Lord, help us not to turn to anything else, even to your blessings, but God, help us to look to you as our all-satisfying, all-sufficient Savior. Lord, help us to be a people who long for you. As David talks about over and over in the Psalms, that we would hunger and thirst for you. That we would long to be in your presence than spend a thousand days anywhere else. So Lord, grow us this morning. God, I pray that you would use your word through your Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes and give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, why don't we do this? Let's read together the Lord's Prayer out of Matthew chapter 6. Why don't you stand up with me? I'm reading it out of the Christian Standard Bible. It's a, it's a little bit different than you learned it as a kid. So read along on the screen, okay? Here we go. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. I'm going I'm to say 1, 2, 3, and then we're going to start reading, all right? 1, 2, 3. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Thank you. You can have a seat this morning. I believe that in the Lord's Prayer, there's six areas where if we are growing in our hunger for God, we will also grow in a hunger for God to move in these specific areas. And here's the first one. As we grow in our hunger for God, we will grow in our hunger for his honor and glory. As we grow in our hunger for God, we will grow in our hunger for his honor and his glory. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your name be honored as holy as we read this morning. As we grow in our hunger for God, we will long for his honor and his glory to be manifested, to be made real, to be demonstrated through our lives. If we truly grow in our hunger for God, it means that our lives will reflect his values, his glory, his honor. Now that word glory is a word that we talk about it in church a lot, you know, the glory of God, that God is glorious, that we give glory to God. Um, but I want to simplify the word a little bit. It, it, the word simply means it, it, that, that God would be weighty that he would be substantial, that he would be influential, that he would be beautiful. Glory is something that calls for a response. And when we understand God's glory in our life, then we respond to that glory. 
because that glory is substantial, influential, weighty. It, it takes precedence. It, it, it carries weight. It's beautiful to us. And when we grow in our hunger for God, we grow in our hunger for his glory and honor. The question is, is God's glory and honor, does it influence your life? Does it take precedence in your life? Do you feel the weight of God's glory in your life? Is it substantial and meaningful? If we want to hallow God's name or allow God's name to be honored as holy, then God's glory, that, that, that idea of God's glory needs to be weighty, substantial in our life. It's not just an idea. The glory of God calls for a response. And so are we responding to God's glory? If we're going to grow in our hunger for God, then we are going to grow in our hunger for his glory, for his honor, for his influence, for his moving in our lives. The passage here continues, the Lord's Prayer continues, and I, and I think with each principle, it, it kind of takes us to a, another level of simplicity. Because if we're growing in a hunger for God's honor and glory, then we will also grow in our hunger for his kingdom to come. As we grow in a hunger for God, we will grow in our hunger for his honor and glory, but also in a hunger for his kingdom to come. Scripture makes it really clear that there are two different kingdoms that are operating against one another. Revelation chapter 11 talks about the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. Revelation chapter 11 verse 15 says that one day the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our God. But until that day, there are, these, there are these warring, conflicting kingdoms, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. We understand this. I mean, we see it played out all around us. There is clearly brokenness. There is clearly rebellion. There is clearly sin and the consequences of that, the pain of that rebellion, of, of, of pursuing our own ends and our own means and our own will and our own desire and our own selfishness. We see it displayed all around us. We see brokenness in, in families and in communities and in societies and in nations. War and violence and oppression, all of these things are the result of sin which is the operating system of the kingdom of this world. And as we grow in our hunger for God, we will grow in our hunger for his kingdom to come. And most of us can get on board with that. We, we see things that we know are not good. And we say, God, do something about this. Just this past Wednesday, as a nation, our president declared it is Sanctity of Life Day. We believe that children are precious to God. Psalm 145 makes it really clear that, that God is knitting us together in our mother's womb, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that before, before we were ever 
came into being, God had ordained the days of our life. Children are precious to God, and yet all over the world and in our nation, unborn children are killed every day, millions of them. And, and I believe that's an issue of the kingdom of this world versus the kingdom of our God. And we say, as people who believe in the value of human life and human dignity, we say, God, this is not right. We see oppression all over the world. Human slavery still exists all over the world. People are oppressed and, and, and put in all kinds of horrible conditions. Kirk Nowry, who was here as a missionary a couple years ago, serves in India, an orphanage for girls and a school for girls who have come out of incredible, incredible, difficult situations. They, they're trafficked and sold as possessions. And we look at that and we say, God, do something about this. And we see those big ideas and we understand that there is a kingdom of this world that is not display the values of the kingdom of our God. And so we can grow in our hunger for God's kingdom to come that there would truly be peace, that there would truly be love, that there would truly be reconciliation between man In these big areas, it's easy to see, but, but I think we, we go down a, another layer of simplicity when Jesus says, pray for God's kingdom to come, but also for his will to be done. Because when we grow in our hunger for God, we grow in our hunger for his will to be done in our lives. And this makes it a little more personal. We, we think of the kingdom of this world versus the kingdom of God, and we, we see this battle between good and evil, and it's easy for us to want to be on the side of good, and it's easy for us to say, I see that evil, and, and clearly God needs to move. But when we take it down another level and say, we're growing in our will, in our, in our hunger for God's will to be done, it gets a little more personal. Because this is where the kingdom of this world struggles against the kingdom of God in our own lives individually. Not just society, not just the world around us, but we see this conflict that's taking place within our own hearts and in our own lives and in those areas where we want to do things our way. Those areas where we know God has called us to love but we don't really want to love those people. Where we know God has called us to be generous and give, but God, I worked hard for this. It's mine. In these areas where God has called us to, um, to show mercy, to show his grace, to be patient. God, that's just not who I am. And we see this struggle of our will versus God's will. And it's not just good and evil anymore, it's personal. It's not just broad strokes of, of the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of our God. It is, it's the everyday choices that we make to either operate in our own will or operate in God's will. And if we're growing in a hunger for God, 
then we will necessarily grow in a hunger for his will to be done in our lives. You can't say, God, I, I, I want more of you, and then say, I just don't want to do what you asked me to do. <laughs> I remember praying. There, there was a season in my life where God put a specific neighbor on my heart. Um, and I just knew that God wanted me to go tell him I was praying for him and have a conversation with him, invite him to church, share the gospel with him. Um, but I had been his neighbor for a long time, and I had never really had a conversation with him. And I, there had just been a crisis in his life because the police showed up to his house one day and he got arrested. And, and then he came back home, and, I, and God said, just go pray for him. Tell him you're praying for him and you're his neighbor and whatever he needs, you're there for him. And I wrestled with God. I said, God, no. Because I've never talked to him before and now I'm going to go over there and, and say I'm praying for you because I know that you just got arrested. And he's going to think I'm, you know, a punk. I don't want to do that. But I just knew God was calling me to do that. At the time, I was serving at another church as a worship leader, and I remember a specific Sunday as I'm up singing a song, and I don't remember what song I was singing, but God just said, hey, worship leader up here singing about me, did you go talk to your neighbor yet? And all of a sudden, I'm singing these words, and it just, I felt like a total liar and a hypocrite. We had a prayer service. Oh, the prayer service was Friday night. Let me step back. And we're praying. And I went down and I was kneeling at the altar and I was praying, God, I just want to serve you. I just want to follow you. And, and, I, and, and God said, no, you don't. I told you to go talk to your neighbor and pray with him and you haven't done it yet. So I tried to rephrase my prayer. And I, could, I just couldn't pray, like literally just couldn't pray anymore. And then, and then the next Sunday came and I still hadn't talked to my neighbor. Not Saturday, not Sunday, and, and up, I'm, I'm up there leading the song. And then I just got sick, like sick to my stomach, went home, slept. Monday morning I woke up, went to take my trash cans out, and there was my neighbor walking his dog. And I went and talked to him. I said, hey, man, I'm Dustin. Just want you to know I'm praying for you. I, I know it's been a tough few weeks, and I'm your neighbor. Whatever you need, I'm here for you. And, and um, that was it. That was the conversation. I, I prayed with him, I think. Um, but wasn't, the clouds didn't open up, you know. But I was obedient. And so many times we say, God, I, I, we, we pray and ask God, God, I pray for your will to be done. God, I want to be used by you. God, I want to see you move. I want to, and then we're just not obedient in the simple everyday things that he asks us to do. But if we're growing in our hunger for God, then we will grow in our hunger for his will to be done in our life. In those simple steps of obedience, those right next steps. Spiritual growth is, is simply taking the right next step. It's like a little kid. It's like a, a toddler who's learning to walk. It's just one step and then another. At first, they can only take a couple, but then they can take a couple more, and then they can take a couple more. Spiritual growth is, is taking the next step and being obedient and following God. And if we're growing in our hunger for God, we will grow in our hunger for his will 
to be done in our lives. It's not about other people's sins. It's not about the sins of a nation. It's not about the sins of those people. It's about whether I am obeying God. The next principle is this. As we grow in our hunger for God, we will grow in our hunger for his provision. And I think this is important because it's, it's not just his provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9 says this. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of my God. The writer of this proverb said, God, give me just enough. Don't give me too much that I become self-sufficient and think I don't need God anymore. Look at all that I have. And don't give me so little that I feel like I need to to steal or, or take advantage of somebody to provide for my own needs. Give me enough so that I honor you with my life. It's this idea of our daily bread that God, give me what I need for today. Give me what I need for today so that I can follow you and do your will today. And the truth is in the affluent culture that we live in as a nation, it is easy for us to trust in the provision of God rather than God himself. Do you know that every good and perfect gift that we have comes from God? That's why we respond with generosity and say, God, you gave me this, and so I'm going to give it back to you. That's the principle of, of tithing. That's the principle of giving back a portion of what God has given us. It's to say, God, this is from you, and so I, I give it back to you. But when we say, no, this is mine. I worked hard for this. We're, we're demonstrating that we are trusting in, in the provision of God rather than in God himself. I, I remember hearing a story. There's a pastor and author named Francis Chan um, and, and I heard him at this conference, and he told this story about his daughters. Um, he, he talked about every day he would come home, and they would greet him at the door. When they heard the garage open, they would come running to the garage door and greet them, Dad, 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 it's so good to see you, and give him hugs and, and welcome him home. And this went on every day, and it was his favorite part of the day as he would come home and his daughters would come out to greet him. And one day when they came to greet him, they said, Dad, 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 we love you. It's so good to see you. Hey, Dad, could you get us a cat? Our friend just got a cat, and we really want a cat. They're so cute. And he said, no, we're not going to get a cat. They said, okay, but we really want a cat. And he came home, and day after day, they would come greet him, and they would hug him, and then they would say, Dad, we really want a cat. And eventually he thought, you know what? If I get them a cat, they're going to. It's going to be like an awesome surprise. And so one day he comes home and he has a cat. And they come and greet him with, Dad, Dad, Dad. And he says, girls, I got you something. And he gives them this cat. Oh, thank you. They're so excited. And then the next day he comes home and they don't come and greet him at the door. And he thinks, where are they? And he goes back and they're in their room playing with the cat. Oh, hey, Dad. 
So I don't know how accurate the story is, but he said, so I got rid of the cat. (laughs) You know, pastors tell stories sometimes and, but the point is really clear, right? I mean, God blesses us. He gives to us. And then we get so caught up in the house, the car, even the kids, the relationship, the marriage that we've been praying for. We don't have time for the one who gave us that blessing anymore. So as we grow in our hunger for God, we grow in our hunger for his provision, but we need to make sure we understand that it's his provision. And really it would be better worded that when we grow in our hunger for God, we grow in our hunger for the provider. The next principle is this, verse 12, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. As we grow in our hunger for God, we grow in our hunger for his grace. His grace in our life extends forgiveness to us. But that grace should also compel us to extend forgiveness to others. So forgive us as we have forgiven our debtors. Forgiveness is so important in Scripture. It's vital in Scripture. Jesus talks about worship, and he says, if you go to give something at the altar to worship God, and you realize that you've got something against a brother or sister, then just leave it there and go get things right before you come back. In Corinthians, when Paul is giving us instructions for how we participate in communion or the Lord's Supper, He talks about the importance of having things right with people, that we don't come to God when we don't have our hearts right with other people. And this is another one of those areas where things get painfully simple. If we grow in our hunger for God, we grow in our hunger for his grace. That means his grace, not just in our lives, but that grace extended to others. And we can talk about his glory and we can talk about his kingdom and we can talk about his will, but now we're getting personal. Because the truth is most of us, somebody comes to mind. I would go even further as your pastor to say that I believe that if as a church, You are the church, by the way. You are the called out assembly of God. It's you, it's not this building and it's not this organization, it's you guys. We are the church, individuals. Individuals make up the church and if as members of this church individually, we've got heart issues of unforgiveness, maybe with other people in this building maybe with other people who aren't in this building anymore that used to be in this building. I believe that when we have those areas of unforgiveness in our life that that God won't do all that he wants to do in the life of our church. I was reminded of this. I, I, I heard the story of 
the revivals that took place in Korea in the early 1900s. In 1900, Korea was less than 1% Christian. Today, 100 years later, 120 years later, Korea is, sends more missionaries around the world than any nation except for the United States, but they are quickly catching up and surpassing us. God did an incredible revival work in Korea, and it started with forgiveness. There was a missionary. Um, his name was William Blair. And he tells the story of a, of a service that took place in Pyongyang, which is today the capital of North Korea. At that time, Korea was united. One night at a prayer service, some leaders in the church began to confess and deal with unforgiveness in their hearts. On Tuesday night, January 15th, the Lord dealt with a well-known conflict that existed between two men named Mr. Kang and Mr. Kim. The previous night, Mr. Kang had confessed his hatred for Mr. Kim. By the way, both of these men were leaders in the Korean church. But Mr. Kim was silent. He was unwilling to reconcile. On Tuesday night, however, during the service, Mr. Kim rose from his seat and came to the pulpit and made this confession. I have been guilty of fighting against God, an elder in this church. I've been guilty of hating not only Mr. Kang Yu Moon, but also Pang Mak Sa. This was the Korean name for the missionary, William Blair. Turning to Blair, he said, can you forgive me? Can you pray for me? William Blair came forward and began to pray, but he could only get two words out, Father, Father. And he could say no more. Blair then described what happened next. It seemed as if the roof was lifted from the building and the Spirit of God came down from heaven in a mighty avalanche of power upon us. I fell at Kim's side and wept and prayed as I had never prayed before. My last glimpse of the audience is photographed indelibly on my brain. Some threw themselves full length upon the floor and hundreds stood with arms outstretched toward heaven. Every man forgot every other. Each was face to face with God. And I can hear that fearful sound of hundreds of men pleading with God for life and for mercy. To restore order, Mr. Lee started a hymn. William Blair writes what transpired next. Then a beginning... Then, begin, then began a meeting of like, which I've never seen before, nor wish to see again unless it's in God's sight it is necessary. Every sin a human being can commit was publicly confessed that night, pale and trembling with emotion and agony of body and mind, guilty souls standing in the white light of God saw themselves as God saw them. Those attending the conference returned to their churches carrying with them the spirit of prayer and it impacted the churches and the nation with revival. Conviction of sin, confession, repentance, and restitution became the common theme of this revival. It started with getting things right between individuals and this church body. And God used that to open up the floodgates of asking forgiveness. Throughout this congregation, people began to confess their wrongdoings, what they had done or how they had felt or what they had said about someone else that God began to do, a restoring work. And it went from there 
all over the peninsula of Korea. The revival started by God doing a powerful work of forgiveness. And when we grow in our hunger for God, we grow in our hunger for his grace, for his forgiveness in our hearts, and for the extension of his forgiveness through us to others. And church, I believe that if God is going to move in power, we have to be right with each other. And I don't, I don't know that we're not. I don't know that we're not. But I don't know that we are either. We've been through a lot together over the last five years. Ephesians chapter 4 says, don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. Let all bitterness, anger, wrath, slander, shouting be removed from you along with all malice and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. This passage talks about grieving the Holy Spirit, preventing the Holy Spirit from moving the way he wants to move. And the way we do that is through unforgiveness, through grumbling and complaining and talking about each other. And I know that happens. But if we're growing in our hunger for God, then we grow in our hunger for God to remove that, to grow in forgiveness and grace for one another. This morning, I pray that God would begin to grow you in your hunger for that, and maybe you need to have a conversation with somebody this week, over the next couple of weeks. Maybe it's not somebody in this church, maybe it's with your family. Maybe it's with a coworker. But God's serious about this. Here's the last thing. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. As we grow in our hunger for God, we grow in our hunger for his protection. And I simply want to say this. If we're growing in our hunger for God's protection from temptation and from ultimately the tempter himself, Satan, the evil one, then that means we don't walk headlong into it. (laughs) We say, God, protect me from temptation, and then we go right back into the same dumb thing that tempts us every time, then we don't really want his protection from temptation. God, I'm really struggling with overeating. Protect me while I'm at Golden Corral today at the all-you-can-eat buffet. No, don't do that. That's the low-hanging fruit, but you guys know what I'm talking about. God, I'm struggling with lust. So stop going to lunch with that man or that lady at your workplace that's not your husband or wife. Don't say, I'm going to lunch. God, protect me while I'm at lunch. No. Whatever it is, don't say, God, protect me, and then walk headlong into it. I used to have a professor at Bible college. His name was Dr. Sewell. And uh, he had all kinds of corny jokes that he would tell. And they didn't really make sense to me when I was 18. But they make more sense to me now. He would say, we all sow our wild oats and then pray for crop failure. I didn't know what that meant. Like, I didn't grow up talking about sowing my wild oats. But we know what that means, right? 
We say, hey, in my youth, I'm going to do whatever I want to. I'm going to live my life to the fullest, YOLO, right? And then we pray, okay, God, I know I did all these dumb things, but please don't let them come back to haunt me. That's not what it means to say, God, protect me from temptation and from the evil one. He would also say this, for those of you who grew up in church, you remember the song, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. Y'all know that one. His version was, he said, we love to sing, I was sinking deep in sin, Wee! And I, you know, it makes more sense to me now. As an 18-year-old, that wasn't very funny, but, but it makes sense. God protect me. If we're serious about growing and our hunger for God's protection, then we work with God in obedience by following his will for our life, not to walk in the flesh, but to walk in the spirit so that we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians chapter 3. So, we want to grow in our hunger for God as a church. And the truth is, growing in our hunger for God is really practical. It means we grow in our hunger for his glory and honor in our lives. That he is the most influential, weighty, substantial thing happening in my life and your life. That's what it means to grow in our hunger for his glory. That we grow in our hunger for his kingdom to come. That his priorities are the priorities of this world, of this church. But then taking a, a step further, we grow in our hunger for his will in our lives. Not just, God, the world order is, is messed up. No, God, my life is messed up. Help me to conform my will to your will. We grow in our hunger for him as provider, not ourselves as provider. Not, not for his provision alone, but for him as the provider, and we recognize that he is provider. God, help me every day to remember that you are the one who sustains me, that you are the one who blesses me. We grow in our hunger for his grace and forgiveness, not just to be extended for us, but that we would extend that grace and forgiveness to others. And church, I believe if we were serious about any of this, that God would move in a way that we couldn't explain. And that's what we've been praying for, right? God has given us these opportunities to make a difference in this neighborhood, in this community. He's opened doors. And if we're going to say yes, then we need to get serious about his will, his kingdom, his grace. And growing in our hunger for his protection, that means stop going places you shouldn't go, with people you shouldn't be with, thinking things you shouldn't think. When you ask God to protect you, like, you don't keep going back to the same old stuff. Hey, we're, you don't do that through your willpower and you don't do that through your own strength. You do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we walk in the Spirit. And every moment we surrender, God, I'm struggling. Help me to walk in the Spirit. Help me to turn away from this. And to turn towards you, God, help me to flee this, to turn towards you.